0: Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with Leo Flowers. Don't ask me why I did that intro so strange and weird just now. Listen to another episode of Before. I'm feeling real goofy. It's late and recording is later than usual. So I'm in a a later than usual mind frame. How are you guys? How was everybody doing? How are are you thriving? Are you, are you breathing? Are you inhaling, exhaling? How are we feeling? We love to start every podcast episode off with the phone numbers for 1 800 Suicide, 1 800 Talk, uh, which it's not, actually, it's not even a, a, a 1 800. Oh, actually, it is. It's a 1 800 273. T-A-L-K, or 8255. Once again, that number is 1-800-273-8255 if you need someone to talk to. Um, and then the suicide number is 1-800-SUICIDE, S-U-I-C-I-D-E. And the difference between those two numbers, there's the 1-800-SUICIDE is... If you are, you know, seriously thinking about it right now, you're in a critical if you're in a critical situation, an acute state, um, you're feeling overwhelmed, no way out. And the 1 273 talk that is if you just want, if you just want to talk about anything to somebody, uh, you could be on the phone with them for hours. Uh, this is just a more, uh, um, <clears throat> some more of an opportunity for you to, uh, for you to just have a conversation and, and express yourself and vent and release and, and uh, f- get some emotional support and feel validated and feel, um, you know, listened to and heard. Uh, so you know, one eight hundred suicide. Once again, is for those acute situations. But one 273 talk is, you know, and I like I said, and like I said in a previous podcast, I you know I called the the one eight hundred suicide number um, five about four or five nights ago. I just I had a I had a flare up of suicide ideations, um, or as what we're going to talk about today, I'm going to do a book review on the uh, on this book called "Suicidal: Why We Kill Ourselves." That's the name of the book. It's by Jesse Baring. and one of the terms that he mentions is uh, for suicidal ideations is "psychache." So I'm gonna I'm gonna get into that uh, what, what that means, but uh, so. But I had a psych ache or a suicidal ideation, a flare up. Um, and uh, and so I called I called them and talked to them and, and immediately felt relief. And immediately felt the inflammation reduce, go down. I was smiling, I was laughing, I was I felt supported and heard and validated and um, and it just makes me feel Good. It, it's it's. I feel like it's so great to know that there is literally a lifeline for you out there to call and talk to, uh, and 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 get you into a safe. And and by the way, it was not an easy call to make. It's not. It's not an easy call to make, um, because you could you you can tell yourself that. Um, this is ridiculous. And, and, and that's what I was, I, that's what I was telling her. I was like, it's ridiculous that I'm even calling you about this. Like I was just feeling, um, man, I forget. I even forget what I was upset about. I I was just feeling some kind of way. And, and then I was beating myself up. I was self-flagellating. I was, flagellating myself for then being upset. I was up, I was up, I was upset at myself for being upset. You know, like like I didn't deserve to be upset. It's kind of like, you know, if you live in a, in a mansion in a nice house and uh, you're complaining about your life and then there are people living on the streets and then you go, well, I shouldn't be complaining about my life. I, I'm living in a mansion. There are people living on the streets. What do I have to complain about? But we talked about this before. There's no hierarchy of pain. Pain is pain. It doesn't, if, if you, you know, if you, if you, if your foot hurts, it doesn't matter how you hurt it, whether you hurt it, you know, kicking a football or somebody stepping on it. The, the, the pain is pain. If it feels like a five, it's a five or a 10, you know, it it's a 10 regardless of, uh, why it happened or how it happened. So pick up the phone, make the phone call, and and know that uh, you you deserve to be heard. Uh, with that said, I uh, always like to also like to talk about things that I'm grateful for for this week. Uh, I'm grateful for three things. One, um, that I feel growth creatively I've been feeling creatively stagnant on stage in terms of stand up and uh a little uninspired. And now I feel um I feel a growth, I feel a connection, I feel um, I-, I feel appreciated. you know it's 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 great to create something and and have people appreciate it want to follow it, want to be involved and truly interested and you know and, and it's not about just people appreciating what you're producing. it's also people appreciating something that you're you're proud that you produced right because sometimes we we do things for money and it's just for the money whether and it is not coming from our heart or our soul and yes we're making money and we're making a living but we're not connected to it in any kind of way so it feels good to create something and um and be appreciated for it um and and uh it's just an awesome feeling uh number two the second thing that i'm grateful for are all the experience I got? I got. I went up in a helicopter ride. I did a, a Hoover Dam um, helicopter tour. So I'm really, I'm really grateful that I had a chance to uh, explore Vegas outside of Vegas and and see Vegas from the view of a helicopter and see the Hoover Dam, which I've never seen before, and see Lake Mead, which is just beautiful, awesome lake. And I met this, I met these great guys from Poland, uh, who went on a helicopter tour with me, who told me how beautiful Poland is, and I, I never thought of of Poland as being a place to visit. You know, you you think about Thailand and Bali and Costa Rica, Japan, you know, Hawaii, and but nobody ever mentions Poland. And when I looked up photos and images, and the way they were talking about it, and the love that they had for their country, and and actually they're they're doing very they're very doing very well economically. Um, I'm excited. I'm excited to go to Poland, and and check that out. So I put that it I put that on my list of things to do before I kill myself. And you know, it's it's great to have things on there that excite me that I can. Continue, want to do and things I get to cross off as, as I go along uh, this, this journey to living to 100 years old which is what we want to do and the third thing that I'm grateful for I'm grateful for my family like I have such I, I feel so much support and so much love and so much uh connection to so many of my family members um and not all of them, you're not gonna feel connected to all of them, but so many and and it's um it, it almost feel undeserving, which is ridiculous it's it's you know the, the thing that you want us to feel connected, then you get connected and then you get scared of of the closeness for whatever um reason and I just I'm just really grateful that I have family and friends and and people who I can I feel like I can really reach out to people who I feel like would pick me up from the airport and let me crash on their couch that that's that's who you, that's who you want in life that's why NBA players when they go pro that's why it's hard for them to let go of their homies from the hood because they know that their homies would do anything for them, ride or die, that their new wealthy NBA friends, family would not do because their homies from the hood have been through everything with them and know everything about them. And you just can't buy that. And uh, it's hard to give that up. So I just want to say thank you to my family, to my friends i uh, very grateful for that. Um, and I said three things, but also grateful for my health. That's super important. Like, I've been sick. I'm on day 20. I'm on day 30 of being sick. And I found out it's because I had mold uh, in my bathroom. And not only did I have mold, I exacerbated it by running a humidifier. Yeah, not... You already got mold. You already got a mold issue, Leo Flowers. Now you're going to run a humidifier. Let's do that. So, uh, that's what's going on in the world of Leo Flowers. I uh, just want to show gratitude. Every day, take some time to show gratitude for what you have in your life. Even if you think you have nothing, just to say, just say, you know, there's something about getting on your knees. And if you don't believe in a God, just saying, just. Thank you. Just throwing thank you out there to the universe and gratitude out there to the universe that scientifically is proven, physiologically is proven uh, to make you feel better, stronger and more connected. So with that said, I want to get into this book review. uh, Suicidal Why We Kill Ourselves by Jesse Baring and look. This is a great book. It's not for everybody. I I'm gonna start off by saying I recommend this book for people uh, who want to know, who want to understand more about suicidal ideation, and um, and are uh, and have somebody in their life that uh, has either. Uh, committed uh completed not committed completed suicide or um is thinking about or attempting uh have had suicidal attempts so but if you're someone who you're if you yourself are suicidal this book will help you uh shed light on what you're feeling you you might be you might be able to relate to it but there there's so many stories in here that are very triggering it could it could it could like you really have to be in a good space to uh, get through it um, there are other books that will help you that are better probably better for you like books that deal with depression or anxiety or or some of the 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 things that contribute to suicidal ideation, better than this book. But this book is really good for someone who wants to understand someone. Uh, this is good for clinicians and understand a history of. It's just yeah, it's just great. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give you the takeaways from the book. And then, you know, you yourself can decide to read it. and it, So we're going to talk about Jesse Baring, the author, first, like the guy who wrote the book. And and so you understand where he's coming from. And then we're going to talk about the five stages or six stages of suicidality, according to Ray uh stages of suicidality, which he uh, calls escape theory. And these are all theories. And then we're going to talk, uh, and then, of course, at the very end, we're going to talk about what Jesse Baring suggests in terms of suicide prevention, okay? So, to start off, uh, but with all that said, I love the book, Uh, couldn't put it down, read it front to back, it's an easy read, I don't say easy read, but... um, but definitely a book that you don't you don't want to put down. So, number one, and I'm just gonna go through the. I like to. I just do things as bullet points, so it's gonna be non-sequential, uh, so to speak. Um, so one million people kill themselves globally, uh, and and it's more than su- suicide. Con- more than wars and um, homicides put together, suicide has claimed more lives um, uh, throughout history uh, which is fascinating because so many people walk around with locks on their doors and you know everybody wants to buying guns for safety but Suicide is a, a bigger threat. You taking your, you are your your biggest threat more than anyone else. So, if you if you own a gun because of for protection, get rid of your gun. Get the gun out the house. Get sell it back. Most sixty percent of suicides are by guns. So let's get let's remove one of the things that um is a contributing factor to suicides. Number two, forty-three percent of suicides are due to genetics, fifty-seven percent are environmental. So let's just let's just call it 50 fifty. Fifty percent genetics, fifty percent environmental, and uh and and scientifically they've proven that through identical twins, so if one identical twin uh, takes their life, the uh, the other identical t- twin is uh, just as likely to uh, complete suicide also, and uh, and so environmental factors. So if you have a, a, if you're genetically if you have a genetic a genetic predisposition, plus you have challenging life events then that makes you more susceptible to uh completing suicide right uh which it just makes sense you know there's it's not one or the other it's just that and and the genetic predispositions are things like if you are if you're genetic if you're like impulsive some people are just more impulsive than others um if you are perfectionistic, like that's not something that is really taught to you. That's something that you are, you just innately uh, tend to have, right? Just a, a details if everything's not right and in a certain place, um, you, you just, you could completely unhinge. People who are, if you're sensitive, right? So, you know... Like sound, like I know I'm super sensitive. Like sounds, scents, smells, um, touch, too much light. Like I can't, I don't do well with a lot of stimulation. And you find that introverts are usually highly um, uh, sensitive to 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 external sim, uh, stimuli. If you are, if you ex- experience a lot of shame. Right. Naturally shame. Like, so psychopaths don't usually experience shame. Uh, And and you'll find it. And research shows that psychopaths really will, uh, you know, take their own life because they. They they don't have that ability to to empathize and and feel shame. Um, So if if you are shame prone, if you uh, genetically. Uh, Born with a type of mood disorder like bipolar, um, uh, panicking, you know, uh, social anxiety, those type of things. Uh, If you are a sexual minority, if you are uh, self-blaming, those type of things um, are usually genetic and, and something that you're born with. And then if... Like I said, if there are challenging life events on top of that, that can really tip the scales in terms of making you more susceptible and vulnerable to uh, completing suicide. Um, The third takeaway is 5% of only 5% of depressed people die by suicide which is, is fascinating because I, and I think the, the, one of the reasons is, and, uh, he doesn't go too much into this is one. The the key thing is depression and suicide. They don't go hand in hand. So, you know, that's a great thing. Usually people who are depressed, uh, usually it's an acute depression and it's situational and then they've moved on. And I think that's why that number is so low and, and, um, and, and the other part is usually when people do complete a suicide, they do it during the manic phase of their bipolar um, episode. So rarely will people commit suicide when they're depressed. They usually com- complete suicide when they're manic and have more energy, which is also why you see low suicide rates in the summer, but you see... Uh, you see the, or in, a, in the winter, but then it starts to tick upwards uh, in the spring. So April, May, June, we start to see a gradual incline in that. Um, now, number four, number four takeaway from the book or note from the book is he describes and I, and I talked about this earlier. He describes suicides as a flare up. Inflammation now because people who don't experience uh, suicidal ideations, uh, it's so hard to explain to them. I have friends who, when I talk to them about this, they're like, "I really don't understand uh, what that's like," or I, "I haven't really entertained those thoughts." And I thought this was such a great way because everybody understands a flare up and inflammation, and that's really what it is. It and and they've and the research is showing that a lot of depressive symptoms are the result of internal inflammation, which is why your diet is so important to uh alleviating your depressive symptoms right so um the key is is to like be able to recognize things that cause a flare up just like there're foods that cause inflammation and there're people who cause who can cause inflammation, right? We we know those people who just like get our blood going and we start clenching our fists and um you, you know we 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 get uh, tunnel they give us tunnel vision. So there there are things that can happen in our lives that can cause an inflammation or a flare up and you know we just have to be uh vigilant about it but it's a great way to and uh to describe it if you if you ever it's like a sore tooth like sometimes you could have a sore tooth but it doesn't hurt all the time sometimes it hurts sometimes it doesn't and and you, you know you just have you just have to roll with it which is you know when people say suicide is a, a, a temporary problem or a permanent problem to a a temper a, a permanent solution to a temporary problem. It's not a temporary problem because the it it it'll it something that for most people with suicide ideation is something that continually will flare up over time and it doesn't go away. It's just a matter of when it will flare up, not if it will flare up. So think of it like that. And uh, I hope that helps the listeners out there really understand what the suicidal ideation and and impulse uh, feels like. It feels like inflammation. You know, like there's some days where I wake up and my knee is fine. I have a I have a tor- uh, tore my meniscus in my right knee, and then other days I wake up and man, it is killing me. But then it just goes away, and I I don't do anything. I don't do anything to make it go away. It just goes away on its own. So I just have to look at it like that, right? It'll just. I mean, sometimes I have to rest it or put ice on it or something to take the inflammation down. But uh, you know, usually, but I don't I don't take any pills or anything for it. So. Um. And the types of problems that trigger your inflammation or your suicide ideations um, change over time. So, you know, there, there are things that that really trigger you right now and upset you right now and inflame you right now. But five years from now, that won't be the case, and it'll be something else. And and ten years from now, it'll be something else. And fifteen years it would be so it changes over time what. What causes your inflammation, or as the book likes to call it, psych aches? Okay. Um, <laughs> the, number five, you know, and we talked about this already. Shame plays a role. You know, when you, when you feel shame, it's. You, you, it's because you're so hyper aware and you're thinking so much about what other people think. Um, It could really, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to skip that part. I'm going to skip the, what I'm going to do is I want to, I wanted to talk to you about Jesse Baring and I skipped that part. Usually I would edit this and move it around, but I just want to let you guys know that, like, this is, I'm not a, I'm not this is me not being perfectionistic, but okay. So I wanna, I'm gonna skip. I'm gonna talk about Jesse Baring really quickly, and then I'm gonna get into the five stages of uh, suicidality uh, and what Brave Ballmeister calls escape theory, and and why that's really important and really fascinating is because uh, you can then catch yourself as you're moving through each stage and that way you know where you are and you can then pull yourself out of it faster be like oh man i'm in the second stage i'm in the fourth stage i really need to get back up you know to the first stage and and then you know up out of this uh, really quickly but so jesse bearing basically was you know this hot shot uh guy and um a writer and you know he at a very young age, achieved everything he wanted to. He was a professor and teaching. He was published. Uh, He was giving public speeches and and talks and uh, traveling the world. He, He was on Conan. His career was thriving. He was killing it. And by the age of 30, he realized he had crossed everything off his list that he wanted to do and that the the rest of his life would just be (coughs) excuse me would just be maintaining and going through this endless cycle of teaching publishing uh, public speaking and he very immediately kind of felt a career burnout and then he moved um, trying to shake things up and then the money started to run out and it was just a, a a quick spiral from the where he was and he realized that part of what was going on was he his expectations were so high for himself that and he was so afraid of like what were the next steps and he kept he just kept thinking about what the what were the next steps going to be and it wasn't clear to him so the money's running out. He doesn't know what his next steps are going to be. Uh, he 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 didn't have any career aspirations. He he lost his purpose, his meaning. And we all know that we need a reason to get out of bed, something to drive us. The, the money's not enough. The 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 external rewards of uh, of, of 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 the you know people. Of acclaim and fame and all that—it's not enough. We really have to be connected to what we're creating and doing in life. And he didn't feel that, and so he really uh, seriously contemplated uh, taking his life. And then he just slowly started rebuilding his life all over again. Uh, he was taking—he was taking pills, you know—and but he pulled himself off the precipice, and and he's not cured. And that's what I love about the book. He's like, I haven't figured it all out, guys. But he is acutely aware that um, he will have more flare-ups, and uh, but he just he wrote the book so that he he would feel like he had tools to arm himself with of how to talk himself down. So that when it does flare up again, he can address it uh, rationally versus reactively, and so that, and that's what I love about the book. And you could tell that uh, it was written in such a way. So that's who Jesse Baring is. Um, I, I didn't. I don't think I I gave him a full. Uh, I don't think I did him a great disservice with that. But but that's basically him in a nutshell. Just to let you know that. Um, that's how he was feeling. Oh, and he's a sexual minority. That was the other thing. So he was struggling with that as a, as a, as a youth and depression and, uh, social anxiety, um, and all the, you know, the, the, the mood disorders and things like that. And it was just a world, one of things that, um, made him want to, you know, take his life. So now with that, we're going to get into Ray Ballmeister's, uh, escape theory. And the steps and stages of suicidality. And there's six of them. And this is great because if, you're, if you know someone who is contemplating, it, you can then hopefully recognize what stage they're in um, and and see how close they are. Because a lot of times when, when people say, you know, I, I didn't see it coming. I, I wasn't aware of it. Um, there usually were signs but they were so subtle and, and things that we don't, we don't think to look for. And we're not trained. We're not trained to look for it. The average person isn't trained to look for the, for the different signs and, and, and or these stages um, that someone can be in. So with that said, uh, the first stage of Ray Ballmeister's escape theory is falling short of expectations. Um, this is huge. Uh, and because a lot of people, you know, we go through life, and I think this is why you see successful people, I shouldn't say, but like straight A students, uh, you know, complete suicide is because they, even though they got an A or got into the college that they wanted, uh, they somehow in some area fell one point short or, um, they didn't, you know, uh, their second chair instead of first chair in an orchestra, they have these extreme expectations that they have for themselves that they don't quite meet. Or like in Jesse Baring's place where, you know, you're at, you're at the top and then there's a huge fall from grace. So when you go from big shot to small knot or celebrity athlete to a 9-to-5, you know you see a lot of these uh, athletes who once their careers over and they have to go back to the pedestrian life that's tough that's they they had an expectation of of where they what who they were and what their life was and then boom they're, they're slammed back into um a, a different reality than what they had expected you know because a lot of times, when you're at the top, you think you're gonna stay at the top, but nobody stays at the top. Um, and and same thing with retiring. People who retire, it's it's rough because you think, oh, retirement's gonna be great and wonderful. You have all this time off, but it's not. is is no bueno. That that's a rough fall from uh, where you were. It's it's like a screeching halt if you're not prepared for it. Um, even even going to jail, like that first month, is when you see the increase in suicides. Uh, for the most part, or most suicides happen within the first month of being uh, sent to jail. So there's when there's a fall from expectations uh, in your head, and part of that is. Checking in with yourself, making sure that you have realistic expectations. A lot of times we get caught up in the social media hype of, of, you know, shoot for the stars, aim big, um, you know, go, go shoot for the moon, whatever. But the truth is, when you listen to, I listen to interviews with Elon Musk and Bill Gates and Steve Jobs. They weren't shooting for the stars. They had very... They took very practical, small steps every step of the way. There was there was nothing ridiculous or largely um, out of tune with anything that they did. So, and even on my board, I've written, as I set practical goals and achieve them, my dreams take shape in fulfilling ways. That's my mantra for 2019. That's my mantra right there. So falling short of expectations, when you start to sense that you're in the first step, that's the first stage of uh, Ray Ballmeister's escape theory. The second step is attributions to self. So what does that mean? When you blame yourself for the unfortunate events from the first stage, right, a lot of us do this. We, we fall from grace, things will go our way, and we completely blame ourselves for everything that went wrong. Now, there's a difference between taking responsibility for what has happened and blaming yourself. Bl- taking responsibility is saying, here is my part in why what happened happened, right? You get in an argument with someone, And you go, oh, here's my here's how I contributed to the miscommunication. Blaming yourself is saying you were 100 percent responsible for everything that happened, which is not true. There are a confluence of factors of why something happened. And for you to take full responsibility, and that's what people say, you should take full responsibility Yet no one is a hundred percent responsible for everything. Like it's so, it would be easy for me to say I'm a hundred percent responsible for the success that I have today. But then that that wouldn't be giving my mom credit, my family credit, my friends, genetics, which I had nothing to do uh, with, uh, environment that I was raised in, the city, the country, uh, the economic uh, climate. The it, it, it so many there's so many reasons and contributing factors to why I'm here in this space right now. The help that I've had, strangers who've who've assisted, who I probably don't even know, help me out in ways that they've helped me out. So, number two is a attri- you know attrib- uh, attributions to self, blaming yourself for unfortunate events from the first stage. And to add to that is also believing you're bad and that others are good. This is important. A lot of times when we are blaming ourselves, or so flagellating. Not only are we blaming ourselves for what has happened, we are idealizing other people and painting them in this, giving them this halo effect um, that they were so good and so great and we are so bad and undeserving when all of us have um, issues and things that we are battling with, struggling with and our challenges, even though Instagram tells you otherwise, we are all struggling and, and dealing with something so you know don't demonize yourself um and and don't overestimate how much people actually care about you and your shortcomings people are way too worried about uh you know what other people are thinking about their shortcomings all right so number three high self-awareness um This is a preoccupation with our flaws, which is, you know, we kind of talked about just in number two, but. High self-awareness is when you when you're so focused on your your flaws, you forget your strengths and the value that you bring. Like you you affect people in positive ways. People need you. The team needs you. The country needs you. The world needs you. You're bringing something to the plate, and you don't have to bring as much as everybody else is bringing this whole 5050 it's a shared thing like that's impossible. nobody can do that. Nobody's nobody is is not in po- if there's 11 pieces and in, in three people you can't divide that up evenly like the universe doesn't work like that but the the earth doesn't even rotate uh, on its axis evenly. so nothing is even, nothing's fair. Um, this preoccupation with your flaws um take time to show gratitude for what you have and who you are and and instead of you know, using um I and me and focusing on that, think about we and us. When you think about things in terms of we did this and, and there'll there'll be moments where during the podcast um, or if you follow me on social media, I'll be like, we out here doing this. We, we And it'll, it'll visually is just me, but I'm saying we, because you guys are with me. We're, we're a part of this. Like I'm not doing this. I'm not on an Island doing this by myself. When I say we, I'm talking about m- myself and you, the listener out there. I'm talking about the people in Finland and Turkey and, and in Virginia, and D.C., and Chicago, and Portland, and Canada, and, you know, I'm talking about people in Norway, I'm talking about all those people, that's what I'm thinking about, we. So when I wake up, man, man, we woke up, we ate a good breakfast this morning, because whatever I do, and however I take care of myself, that means that I'm I'm better and stronger for the team. So if I'm eating well, then we are eating well. We are we as a unit are doing better. So having a high self awareness, uh, is good in some ways, but it could also be detrimental if you're only focusing and preoccupied uh on your flaws and you'll see you'll and like I said, it'll show up as a lot of I and me statements. So, you know, listen up for those. Um, and especially like listening to sad music and, uh, fantasies about traveling and escaping those, those things need to be addressed. So try to incorporate more we and us and, and focusing on that. And if you're talking to someone, uh, if you have children who are, uh, have expressed suicidal ideations, you know, get them to focus on the we and the us and the family. Write a family mission statement. Put that on a wall. And and everything is focused on the, the group dynamic in the community and the contribution. And that's what's important versus individual um, rewards. Number four out of six is negative affect. Um, now, we're talking about negative affect It goes back to, um, the flare ups like, um, I love that. We talked about how inflammation is a, a, a great way to describe the suicidal ideations and the flare ups because the negative affect that, that, feeling is so intense the in the book he describes it as if it's like if you're in a burning building and you're standing at the ledge you don't want to jump but the flames get so hot that jumping becomes a better option than Burning up in the flames, and the insecurities and the social anxiety, and uh, the depression, and the the feelings of shame—all those things are like little flames, just just licking you at the ankles, just 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 you know causing little flesh wounds. And at some point, the flame gets so hot that. You then want to jump, and that's that negative affect. And when we look at a majority of the suicides, they're driven by what we, what you know, the book terms as psych aches. and it's the inability to find peace of mind when we are really striving for mindlessness. Through you know, people do it through drug addiction and uh, extreme sports. And things like that. So you'll see people turn in this in this stage four. What you'll start to see are people um, start to involve themselves in, in f- things that cause physical pain. Like the drugs, the sex, uh, extreme sports. And because it, it takes away from the emotional pain. Uh, you, you know, you see it in... You'll see a lot of like ultra marathon runners who run for, uh, you know, they do, I don't know, like 52 miles or 100 miles, things like that. And typically you'll find out that they used to be drug addicts and this is how they get their new high. So the negative affect, the negative emotions, the flare ups, the inflammation can be so extreme that. People, that's why some people wear that rubber band around their wrist. <laughs> stage four. When people start to do things that cause physical pain, chances are you're in stage four. And it's, it's just that it's not that you, you want to end your life. It's just that you're unable to find peace of mind when you're striving for peace of mindlessness. We strive for peace of mind. I wrote that down, and now it doesn't make sense. But uh, I think you guys understand what I'm saying. Um, so negative affect, which once again are is like anxiety, guilt, self blame, depression, ostracism, um, any of those feelings that it, it just is just a worry that the flames that um are are getting too close to you those those uh emotions are getting too close the melancholy things like that so as you start to see those things flare up uh know that you're in stage four and and if you're you know resorting to uh d- drugs and alcohol and extreme sports to alleviate it or distract you from that pain um Find, you know, find talk. That's when you need to call and talk to someone. Go to a therapist. Find a group. There's so many phone numbers out there and so many resources for you. um, That's just a phone call away for you. Uh, Stage five is cognitive deconstruction. Cognitive deconstruction is how do I want to? break this down excuse me oh okay so cognitive deconstruction is when time literally feels like it's crawling to a stop like like it, it just is uh, it's an unpleasant is unbearable five minutes feels like five hours um, you it is just this. um constant unpleasant like it's just a vague unpleasantness time seems endless um your life just feels like it's slowly dripping out and that's when you're in cognitive deconstruction um the present moment just feels unbearable um it resembles uh people who are just like acutely bored just bored with everything; there, nothing is stimulating them. Uh, they seek escapism through books and music, long walks, uh, runs, and I recognize this in myself. Um, with the with the over- reading, burying yourself in work, a lot of dull, routine, academic, busy work. You'll see this in kids; they'll just reading, writing, they're just they'll seem more focused um, on the mundaneness of their of their schoolwork. And they'll kind of be in this automatic pilot mode where it's like, okay, yes, they're, ne- they're neither hungry nor full. N- they're not bored nor active. It's like this state of purgatory. Um, socially passive, even submissive and you might even find that physically they're submissive with their body language shrugged shoulders they're playing smaller um they're just not they're just not they're, it's almost robotic uh the, the stage that they're in um so that's stage five And like i said if you you can you can pull yourself up some way you can spiral down The same way you can spiral up and, and, you know, the first stage obviously is always uh, accepting what stage you're in and and being aware of it. And then just and then knowing that, you know, it's going to take you some time to work your way back up. But, you know, you're not at stage six and stage six is disinhibition. And so disinhibition is where um you you start this dichotomous thinking of only you use words like only and always only is the most dangerous four letter word uh with in someone who is talking about uh uh who has expressed uh uh completing suicide and the reason is is because only like if you get in an argument with somebody they're like this is the only way out and this is the only way it could be it it it, it what it what it signifies is a reduction of options this is the, this is the only way that I could get this is the only way it could be done this is the only way or sometimes you hear people say always you always do this you always do that and it, it's just black and white all or nothing kind of thinking, where there's no nuance, there's no gray area, there are no options, there's no hope. And so, as you start to hear the words only become a major part of their uh, communication and the vernacular, um, that, that's a sign of uh, that they're in stage six, which is disinhibition. And it's just this lingering despondency. So you definitely want to make sure there are no guns in the house. Um, and and also you'll see that they've been practicing uh, uh like what, what's called a parasuicide uh attempt. Meaning People who jump usually have jumped in some other form or fashion. Whether they have uh, bungee jumped or uh, cliff di- uh, done, you know, cliff dives, but they've. It's kind of like test runs where they. It's not. It's not a conscious thing of I'm going to go. I'm gonna test run jumps, but they just. They, but they, you know, they uh, um, skydiving, so falling from high places. So people will usually done what they've been doing, right? Um, and the story talks about a girl who jumps off a building, and she and her parents realize she had been like jumping off of high places, you know, for fun with her friends at camp, things like that. And the whole time they thought that she was afraid of heights, but she had been building up her tolerance uh, for uh, for heights um, for a while now so that then when she did jump, um, it wasn't uh, as scary to her. So those are things you want to look out for are, um, you know, just like that's why Marines, or or not Marines specifically, but military – uh, service people usually use guns because that's what they've been trained to use. So now they're not as afraid to use guns. Um, so there's a, a disinhibition where there's more of a, a risk taking and a black and white and all or nothing type of thinking. So get rid of the guns. Um, get rid of you know if they if they take pills then you know you want to wean them off the pills because as they get used to taking pills then that can be a way to um you know that might be a way that they they choose to complete suicide or if you're taking pills you know find ways to to wean yourself off or, or reduce it um of course with medical talk to your doctor talk to your 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 psychiatrist And do it in a very slow and methodical and practical way. Never just stop taking your psychiatric meds. There are, um, I don't know if nefarious, but deadly repercussions from just stopping your meds cold turkey. So I would never uh, advise that. Never do that. Everything you want to do you want to do in stages and and take your time even if it's something bad for you you know cold turkey is an abrupt it's very abrupt on the body and mind and your body will not appreciate you for that uh with that said let's going to uh prevention so at the the very end of the book the last couple pages two three pages actually He talks about, you know, what we can do to prevent. And he broke it down into three areas, environmental, uh, 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 navigating negative emotions, and uh, socializing. So the first one is uh, recognize environmental triggers, okay? And I'll breeze through these quickly. Environmental triggers, get rid of the guns. We already know that guns are, are the number one. Uh, method used in uh, suicide. Number two, put up barriers. They've they found that putting up barriers at these uh, bridges and train uh, train stations to prevent people from jumping on the train tracks, and barriers for people jumping off bridges, uh, and even some libraries have re- drastically reduced the number of people who jump. Uh, you know, by forty to sixty percent. So physical barriers do work. Um, so put up barriers. Uh, get rid of closet rods. Uh, and and you know in some uh, <clears throat> in some tribes there were boys who you know were hanging themselves in their closet. So they they passed a law on the tribal land where you couldn't have uh, closet rods up, in, and that reduced. Um, suicide rates Um, people who there was i forget like in england um a lot of people were committing suicide uh uh by drowning themselves so it was mandatory that everybody took swim lessons so there's some very practical means of uh reducing um you know uh the suicide numbers so, but number one, environmental triggers. Know what, know what triggers you. Know what makes it easier for you or someone you know to uh, complete suicide and, and get rid of those. And don't think that, oh, I should be tough enough and strong enough to, um, and have the willpower to avoid it. You, where you're a human being, your willpower doesn't prevent you from eating the whole box of Oreos. So, get rid of the guns. Um, number two. Navigate negative emotions, learn how to navigate negative emotions, especially if you have kids, because, you know, you know, as adults, it's hard to navigate our negative emotions, but especially for children who, uh, you know, are definitely have uh, all or nothing thinking um, and, and think everything has to be perfect and think the world's coming to an end because of a breakup or uh, tests failed, or they couldn't get on a team. Um, so teaching them how to accept failure and let them fail. Let them fail. And remind them that it's not just them who fail. Like it, it You know, it's the, the coach, the team, the teachers. There's a, a whole group of people involved in their success as well as in their failure. So getting them to zoom out, but also validating their emotions and, and being supportive and being a, a good friend. Um, but also teaching them uh, how to handle disappointments instead of shielding them from pain and disappointment, um, exposing them to that so that they can um, handle it better as they get older. Uh, And number three, um, remember that we're social animals, right? So we, we need to be in groups, even if you're an introvert, even if you're shy, uh, nobody wants to, no introvert wants to be, you know, to themselves 100% of the time. Um, we, we are social animals by nature. Uh, so join a group, uh, a, a group where you could just talk or AA or NA, just a, a, a a book club. Join any group. We are social animals. Volunteer, Habitat for Humanity. Um, find a friend make a friend who will validate your and acknowledge you for who you are and appreciate you and accept you for who you are and and love you despite your your ups and downs your your flaws and successes um and and but you know we'll be there for you through thick and thin all right and and as a side note never underestimate the effect of altruistic strangers and uh, what i mean is uh one of the guys in the book uh who 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 jumped when they found a suicide note at his house he said if somebody smiles uh at me before i get to the bridge then i won't jump and apparently nobody smiled and, and so he jumped um and so that was just him saying he wanted to be seen. He wanted to be he wanted to be acknowledged as a as a person and 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 so for him that was his way of getting so when you smile at somebody, when you say hi or hello or a little head nod, don't underestimate the power of that when you open a door for someone. There is power in that and and this goes back to what I mean and in the very beginning is that we all have a purpose and we all have value because the truth is when you save someone's life, when you make someone's day better, nine times out of ten, you'll never know. You'll never know. There have been so many times where you know, I've been in a funk and I've seen somebody do something nice for somebody else or I've seen the interaction between a couple or friends or kids playing. And it got me out the funk, and it made me feel better. But I didn't go up to him and say, oh, "Hey, hey, guys, your your interaction made me feel good. Thank you so much." It was just, it you know, it was something that I, um, I just you know, I held I held in and and took with me, and was just grateful for the moment. So just know that when you when you smile and you you know say thank you when you. Do an act of kindness. Not only are you, you know, making that person's, that person feel better and and stimulating them, people are watching. People see that. There are cameras everywhere. There are cameras everywhere. So the cameras are picking it up, right? Cameras are picking up your good deeds. And some security guy is watching that in some small dark room and eating his McDonald's, whatever, and is like, man I just made my day so just know that you have value you have purpose there's a reason why you're here and uh, I'm I'm proud of you guys now I, I don't now before we end this I don't think I read off my for so I I did this thing future me um Man, should I I should just wait. How much time? All right, I'm gonna save this. So in the next podcast, I'm gonna say I'm gonna save it for the next podcast. Uh future I, I did this thing called Future Me, where you, you send an email to yourself a year from now. So you, you type the email and to yourself today, and then you get the email that you sent yourself a year from now. And I'm gonna read to you guys what my what the email I sent to myself and and the progress I've made and uh, so it's really cool it's really dope I sent it to a bunch of my friends but I share that with you in the next podcast I meant to to address this early on but I didn't thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of before you kill yourself and remember you have value you have purpose. There's no hierarchy of pain, and there's also no hierarchy of value. Peace. Rate, comment, share. I love you guys.